This show is brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com. You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about the psycho-spiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. You can find our podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes and any platform you listen to the show from. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Obama. And I'm Joe Newton. And today we are going to talk about uh, really a very interesting subject, and that is helping children deal with death. Well, I'll start with a I'll start with a personal story. Yeah, uh, my dad died ten years ago, over ten years ago, and it was a very, I mean, he was declining for years, but all of a sudden the the uh, the dying process became, you know, went started from nothing to screaming straight ahead. Uh, my dad got sick on a Tuesday night. Uh, I was in the hospital with my dad and seeing that what was going on, and I mean, it was very evident, even though he was aware, even though he was uh, right with us the whole time, that time was coming to an end, and it was going to happen soon. And how soon, we didn't know. And so we got all the information, we got everything like that was going on, and that was Tuesday night. Uh, had called my my siblings who live out in East, and they came to see Dad on Friday. We had made the decision that we we're going to take the oxygen off of Dad, and we knew that as soon as we took the oxygen off, it would be just a matter of time before he died. And at that spot, when we came to that point to pull the oxygen, we had, I can't count the number of people that were in the room with Dad, uh, but he had, of course, all our sibling, all our siblings, um, his kids, we had grandchildren, even a couple of great, great grandchildren were there. Mm. And they were all, we were all there and we all witnessed and were present in that, to me, it was a celebration of life when he went to heaven and when he died. And, you know, I, I did not force my grandchildren the two great-grandchildren that were there to come and have to stay there with them. You know, if you wanted to step out of the room, that's fine. I understand. It can be difficult, whatever. Uh, so afterwards, sometime afterwards, I don't know what day it was or whatever, but I had the opportunity to talk to my two grandchildren, and I asked them the question, did you, did, you, know, did you really find that a really creepy, <laughs> I guess, yeah. for a better word, to watch your grandfather, your great-grandfather just die? And it was this, this, this has stuck with me, and it's really caused me to really look at this issue with kids in a, in, a, you know, in a way that I think hopefully other people will as well. And that is those two young people, they were both, one was 13, yeah, 16 and 13. And they said it was a wonderful family experience. Mm. No ill effects, no any kind of uh, nightmares, uncertainty, you know, anxiety, anything of that nature. They were just very matter of fact, and they—I didn't really teach them ahead of time what to expect. Yeah, 
uh, you know, I was more worried about my reaction with being with my dad, and I couldn't do the the chaplain work then with them. <laughs> but it was so powerful to hear those words from them. And I thought, well, you know, they're everyday kids like many others in our families that we deal with. Uh, I, I strongly urge families to to really take the opportunity to teach. And if they can't do it, that's where hospice can come in and teach them about this thing called death and how we're all going to do it in some form or fashion. And, you know, way back in the days of old, you know, everybody was there. I mean, death in the family was just normal. Yeah. And everything's changed, you know, so many times over with this modern society. I think uh, for your grandchildren, I think the family modeled that really well. I'm sure they were Mm -hmm. watching. They were watching for your reactions and how Mm -hmm. to behave. And when they saw the calmness from the entire family, that, you know, that was a good model for them to follow. Good point, Yes, Very good point. Because kids are watching. They watch for cues on how Mm -hmm. to react and how to behave in those kind of crucial moments. And your family modeled that really well. I hadn't thought about that. That's absolutely true. And uh, that's why, you know, I still talk about how the family is so influential in how to deal with this, this, this situation, this topic. Yeah. We model for children how they handle death and dying. I remember when my two kids were very young, even three, four, five, they would go to funerals with me. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. the open casket, they would sure. go and watch. Yeah. And that has become, that has a sense normalized death to them. They're not Mm -hmm. afraid. But other families, I would see them very protective. They will not allow the kid anywhere near the coffin or anything. But how, you know, so that's why it's important for us as parents or as adults to model for children uh, how to handle death. Exactly. um, I've got another story along that line that that really I had... uh, I had a new patient I went to do my initial assessment when who was actively dying. And you know, I go in and, I, and I'm listening and talking to the family and the children and the wife and everything like that. And I'm hearing all this anxiety about father in the home dying, which happens frequently as far as the anxiety issue and how are we going to handle this and how are we going to do this? And, you know, am I going to do something wrong? And am I going to do, you know, cause something that's going to, you know, make dad uncomfortable or whatever. So, of course, I do my my normal listening, but I also look around the room as I'm listening and talking to these folks. And I notice pictures of this little boy, his grandson. And, I mean, there had to have been four, five, six, ten pictures of him and his grandson. You know, the apple of this guy's eye. And I, I just happened to casually ask the family. I said, well, uh, whose child is this? And how was the relationship that, you know, it looks like they have a great relationship. Hmm. And the son, the son-in-law and the daughter said, oh, they, you know, yeah, dad, dad just, you know, spoiled him terribly. And, you know, he did this and did everything with him and do it, you know, for the, you know, the, da- the kid was three years old. Kid was three years old. I mean, they, they, you know, dad more or less helped raise the child. And I think probably a lot of that had to do with dad realizing that life was not too distant and, you know, was not going to be too long. And so I'm sitting there talking to them and, you know, one of the, they said, well, oh yeah, that's, you know, do you think it's okay if we bring whatever the child's name was 
to see there see his grandfather how that I said you know your child that's you know that's your decision you have to be able to do this in the way that you feel comfortable with it but then I told them the story about my grandchildren being there and I told them the again how I feel so strongly that it's not always a good thing to hide this from a child because it is such a part of life and before he knew it, the father was running out the door to go get his son to mm. bring him over to see his to see his grandfather before the grandfather died. And I thought, good, he was listening and he's doing it right because I told them that they had to show, again, like you said, model their response yeah. to how this death was happening. That's powerful. Many things influence children's views on death and dying, such as age religious beliefs, cultural and ethnic values. However, death has never been so foreign to children as we may think. You know... Uh, Absolutely right. Absolutely <laughs> look right. Look at some of their games, uh, the prayers, the songs, and some of the, the, the chants. You know, they have death themes around them. Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember playing uh, with your children or grandchildren, Peekaboo? Oh, all the time. <laughs> Kids all love the time. it. All Yeah. <laughs> it is said to be derived from an old English word meaning death or alive. Ooh. It teaches babies their first lessons on object permanence. I did not know that. Peekaboo. Peekaboo. I mean, every time I saw my peekaboo, I was telling my kids I'm dying, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Dead or alive. Dead or alive. Dead That's or alive. A... Oh, but I mean, there were, you know... There was always the games when I was a kid that grew up with the, you know, cowboys and Indians or whatever it is, or what even, uh, in watching TV and you, you always see, bring them, dead or alive. You see? Yeah. And there's also uh, a children's game, um, Ring Around the Rosie. Oh, yeah. With this chance, ashes to ashes, all fall down. It grew out of children's reaction to death during the great plague of the Middle Ages. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. I was amazing. See what happens when Saul does all this investigation? I tell you, I did not know that. <laughs> and if you grew up in, the, in, a, in a Christian family, the first prayer children learn is, Now I lay me, me down, down to, to sleep. sleep. Yes. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I awake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. take. Oh, yes. I, oh, right I, would, I would pray that all the time. <laughs> Oh, yes. It, you know, you never, until you look back on it, that that is exactly what you're teaching your child. Yeah. To be prepared just in case. You see, there's also another rope skipping chant familiar to many children. It contains these lines Doctor, doctor, will I die? Yes, my child, and so will I. So death wow. and dying has been so familiar in, in, in children's lives, and the theme has been there. So when we begin to broach this subject to them, it shouldn't feel like it's, it's a foreign subject. But it is a foreign subject in a lot of situations. Yeah. And that's because, again, I think that's from just thinking, oh, that's just a, just a you know, I used to pray that because that's a childhood prayer. You know, and I'm, I did that as a child just, you know, to make my parents happy that I, that I prayed. But I mean, I remember saying that prayer yeah, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. And I felt comforted comforted by it though. So yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I thought, well, 
And it didn't scare me. I looked back at it. And if I die before I wake, I knew that I was going to be taken care of. Yes. I haven't really ever thought of that until, you know, as we're talking, because it never frightened me. It never scared me. I really thought, you know, okay. And, uh, you know, that's, that's interesting. And that comfort is born out of the spirituality that God will take care of you. Yes. So that's the role of spirituality in understanding death and dying. Many other games like hide and seek have been offered as evidence of children's lasting tendency to explore the contradictory nature of life and death. Children's understanding of death, however, varies based on their cognitive development. Children under two have very little understanding of death. Between three and five, Children display magical thinking. They describe death either as a kind of a sleep or a gradual or temporary mm -hmm. state. Mm -hmm. For them, death is reversible. They will ask when the dead person is coming home again. Right. From ages 6 through 10, children comprehend the finality of death, but will often regress to magical thinking. Mm -hmm. Children over 10 acquire a more mature understanding of death and realize that death is irreversible. And they understand that finality. Though that's very helpful when I start thinking about uh, when I've dealt with families with, with different aged children. I mean, you have those that are you know, some of the children who are very black and white, and those are the older kids. You know, yeah. this, is, this is what it is. Yep, uh, grandpa's gone, grandpa died, it's okay. You know, I miss him, I will miss him, it's okay, he's dead. Yeah. Uh, but then I think about those kids that I've been around that are still trying to grasp the uh, understanding. And sometimes families, I think this is the hard part when they're like six or seven or they're about right in those different ages and their loved one. I once had a family that had two younger children and the husband had um, glioblastoma and was in the in the living room just laying there slowly dying and the kids would come in and they still you know the, the intent for the wife was to try and make sure that the ch the, the children still honored him as their father yeah and there was you know that that was it right there in front of them every day all the time wake up in the morning go down go down there see dad i don't think they ever questioned if he was dead or alive at that point mm. that he was still going to be there just that they're going to see that there are times that he responds better than others. And then there are going to be times that it's come that he didn't remember them at all because of how the cancer had spread. Yeah. But they were always there and they were always educated by it. Uh, I, I actually saw them not too long ago, probably a year well, before COVID. And just amazed at how well adjusted these kids were after watching their father die. And that was part of life to them. Yeah. Did they miss him? Absolutely. I'm sure they did terribly. But they also knew that they had a life that they had to keep living. And I don't know if being so young helped them. I just don't know. Or if it was really just how well their mother took care of them. And prepared them. Yep. You see, as children encounter illness, loss, and grief, whether their own or someone close to them, 
They seek to understand those events and make a sense of their experiences. I tend to look at this as a spiritual process as they turn to their beliefs, faith narratives, rituals and practices. They may not yet have the cognitive capacity to reach conclusions, mm-hmm. yet they yearn for an explanation of events that are sometimes difficult, if not impossible, for even adults to answer. Their questions may show innocence and naivety, but once we answer their questions with truth and honesty, especially okay. those, then they are able to actually understand and comprehend. Dr. Kenneth Docker shared a story about his three-year-old granddaughter. Uh, when her maternal grandmother died, her three-year-old granddaughter took comfort through the belief that even though her grandmother was no longer physically present on earth, she was watching from heaven. Mm-hmm. However, this led to a practical concern. Would her grandmother be able to see her on the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> that was when she was becoming toilet trained. Yeah. They reassured her that her grandmother would not look at her in these private moments. And <laughs> you see how, yeah, yeah. how comforting, you know, things of faith can also be twisted and cause a sense of panic and fear too. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think of that and I'm like, you know, that, you know, that's kids being, you know, so open and honest about everything, you know, and, and, yes. and where their minds can go, what are, what are, you know, you know, if we said that as a, as an adult, you'd say, well, you're very juvenile, but it's still, you know, it's that that's a, you know, you, Grandma you, you, is watching thing, me from That's heaven. right. But I mean, here you are and you're, you're saying ahead of, you know, just said a few, you know, moments ago about how you have to be truthful and honest. And that's to me is the paramount issue that needs to be done when parents start talking to their children about end of life. Mm. You can't sugarcoat this. You don't have to be uh, so descriptive of what is going to take place, but just you know be honest with them so that the kids, the children, not kid, the children are comfortable with the idea that you're comfortable with it. Mm. And if you're showing anxiety as the parent, they're, of course, as you, we started from the very beginning, saying that, that, that they will respond to their, that anxiety no matter what you say. Yeah. They're going to feel that more strongly than the words that you're saying. Children as young as two or three years old are trying to make sense of their world. <laughs> Illness, grief, and loss are often part of their worlds as well. So their spiritual development helps shape how they deal with issues for which they want a concrete explanation. Often it is these questions, why did grandma have to die? Why is there illness in the world? What happens to you after you die? That spark a child's interest in spiritual questions and explanations. With that, we'll take a, uh, a short break and then we'll be right back. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI Helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. 
That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. This is Soleil Berman. You're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation on how to prepare children in moments of death and dying. In his classic work, The Spiritual Life of Children, Dr. Robert Cole studied the ways that children use their spirituality to reflect on these questions. Coles was trained as a psychiatrist by Eric Lindemann, famous for his initial work on grief. In fact, one of the pioneers on grief work. As Coles worked in the 1950s with healthy children who had been stricken by polio, he was instructed by Lindemann to listen carefully to the ways a child's spirituality helped him or her adapt to this encounter with illness and mortality. Coles found that their spiritual stories, whether from the Bible, Quran, or any spiritual or religious text, helped them look not only upward, but inward. That incident made Coles move away from the stage theories of spiritual development so common in the literature up to that point. Such theories stretch that children are capable of understanding at different levels at given ages. Cole shifted the paradigm by emphasizing the importance of faith and spirituality. He says that children are spiritual pilgrims or pioneers. By that cause means that children are trying to make sense of their world without the cognitive spiritual maps that adults possess. Their sense-making is a spiritual work in progress, a continued exploration in a territory they do not fully know or understand. Parents got to hear that, and we need to be able to share that with families because, unfortunately, in my experience, I found that families try to pigeonhole a kid, a child, at a certain point, whether they're three years old, 12 years old, and, and, and address this in the same way that you would either way. Yeah. Because they don't realize what the cognitive abilities may be of a 12-year-old. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, that can be hidden because of their own grief or their own fears and don't want to talk about it. Uh, they're not comfortable. So, you know, as well as I am, do, uh, saw that this... These, these, these kids are not getting all that is necessary to help them understand what it is that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, i got to tell you a little story about young children, not young children, uh, young adults that just surprised me. There was this couple, this, this woman who died, and I went to the wake. And, you know, uh, they had, there was their, her... I think it was 19-year-old grandson and 16, 17-year-old granddaughter there. And I was told that those grandchildren had never been to a funeral with an open casket. Mm. And it was noticeable when I walk into the, walked into the room there. They were back away from the casket. I never saw them look at their grandmother. Uh they were struggling. I know they were struggling. I happen to have my therapy dog with me, Mizuno. And when they saw the dog, they came up to the casket where Mizuno was, 
and Mizuno lay down the floor, and they were with the dog. They were finding comfort there because of their, they didn't know how to do it. Mm. They didn't know how to feel and how to address the loss, I, don't, I believe. Yeah. And, and having Mizuno there opened the door, opened their eyes to what it was, and they were just, just I mean, literally on the floor with them. I mean, for, you know, 10, 15 minutes and just, and, you know, I talked to the father and oh, he said, oh, this is just great that you brought the dog and thank mm-hmm. you so much and blah, blah, blah. And uh, then told me how it was that they were, they lived in England, which they don't have open caskets there too much, I guess, mm-hmm. in most occasions. And this is, you know, they have since moved back to the States and uh, this was their first, uh, their first occasion. You know, there's a lot of families that have, you know, large families have a lot of, you know, have had deaths that they go and do all the time. Here's a family that didn't. They didn't know how to approach they didn't know the, how the context to, exactly. and how to be fully present in that context. Exactly. Because it was something new. They were not prepared. It was never modeled. But mm-hmm. having a dog there uh, helped them break uh, and then have a sense of uh, presence and be and, able and to they deal could, yes, and they with could the relax. situation and relax a little bit and understand the nature of death and dying in that context of memorialization. I I hope it helped them and make it a good experience. Yeah, it sure did. Uh, And those are, you know, things that uh, therapy dogs can do to help, especially in in the funeral setting, Mm -hmm. to help relax children a little bit in this kind of uh, moments of grief and mourning. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so uh, children really... Like we said earlier, and that cannot even be said enough, modeling and teaching and education Absolutely. and training. This is what Coles found in his research, that children often attempt to apply the broad understandings that have been conveyed to them within their spiritual traditions. Children raised in the Christian tradition, for example, often reflect on the incarnation, taking comfort from the reality that Jesus really knew what, was, what it was like to struggle with childhood. Yes. To Islamic children, surrendering to the will of Allah was a major theme, while Jewish children looked to the moral precepts of their faith to guide them through life. And you hear this a lot from children, our grandpa is in heaven. And <laughs> Cole's fun findings reaffirmed two important lessons for adults present in a child's life when the child is trying to make sense of illness grief and death. The first is to respect the process and engage in dialogue with the questioning child. The child's questions should be taken seriously. This is an excellent opportunity for parents and guardians to share the ways that their own spiritual beliefs help them deal with the same issues that are encountered throughout the life cycle. One parent, for example, uh, was questioned by her six-year-old son on her own grief. If grandpa is happy in heaven, why do you cry whenever you talk about him? Mm. Her response was honest, simple, appropriate, and reassuring as as the child tried to make sense of faith and his feelings. She told him, I do believe that grandpa is in heaven. It comforts and helps me to know that he is with God and no longer in pain. I just miss him so much. And such honesty, Joe, helps a lot. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And then I want to I want to change this little focus if you're if you're okay with this for just a yeah. minute here. I just want to yeah. 
I, I want to focus it back to us as hospice chaplains. Okay. And we walk into a family situation much like what we've been talking about, and you've been been acknowledging how we see parents deal with their their children, or yeah, children, and how willing will we be as chaplains to walk into that? And I mean, I think it's imperative that we are willing and open and honest to walk into this, to be able to say to a parent who doesn't quite grasp how important this type of modeling is. I mean, we can't, we can't, we, we can't go in there and just say, though, this is the way it has to be and this is what's going on. We have to be able to walk in with the sense that, uh, you know, you're doing a great job with this. You know, you're doing a good job. You know, maybe you can, you know, don't be afraid to be honest with your child. Don't tell them to be honest with their child, but in, in, encourage them to be forthright in and to talk of their own feelings because kids can feel it. Yeah, I mean, just like you just spoke of that mother talking about how much to miss, she misses her father, his grandfather, yeah. uh, and what pains her. Uh, and, and, and for her then to say, you know, even to say it's okay to cry because some kids are afraid to cry because they want to be strong. Like they're like whoever it is, but how can we as chaplains, hospice chaplains, because that's part of our work. I believe very strongly that we go in and and be willing to be honest with them about you know because I, I like I did have that time. Do you think kids should go and visit? Do you think kids could should come and see their grandparent under these circumstances? And uh, I'm always an advocate for that, but I also have to listen to what the family's saying and. Uh, I sometimes walk out of the house and shaking my head saying, you know, you're doing it your way and it's not my way. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you're right. It's, it's, it's really important um, for chaplains and parents to always remain in that theme of honesty and, and really talking to kids. One thing, one mistake we always like to do, uh, even adults, is we like to romanticize. Um, like I was counseling a 10-year-old boy uh, another, you've seen another boy get hit. You know, a friend oh. was, you know, had this accident and he was hit and died, uh, motor accident. And um, the adults in his life told him, you know, uh, your friend was a good boy and God needed another angel oh. in heaven. <laughs> so you know what he did? He decided to be bad and act bad because he didn't want to be an angel so That's God right. could take him sooner. That's right. Oh, that is, I mean, yeah, you got to be very cautious on what you say to kids about these things because they'll take it literally. Yeah. And that's, again, the parent who who is having a hard time, you know, deciding how to approach a subject that they're very uncomfortable with. So such romantic stories, even if they sound good to us, they might actually cause harm mm. uh, to the child. It is best to simply be honest, share your own spirituality, your own questions, your own issues with it. Be honest with the child instead of creating these romantic stories like that. God needed another angel. Absolutely. It's terrible. Let me ask you this, Saul. What about the older kids, and I mean adult older kids, who say that their parent 
is declining from a very unfortunate case of Alzheimer's. The patient has no idea who the person is. The patient might have just deteriorated to the point that that the child does not want to see their parenting like that. I struggle with that. When say I'm not going to go, you know, I've seen, I've I've made my last visit to see my mom. I really don't like seeing her that way. Hmm. And that has to go all the way back to when they were a kid. To have heard somewhere to say that you know that oh that 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 accident and that person died. I just you know I just can't imagine what you know what happened. You know, and they don't want to see what death looks like and the decline and all that. I want to remember them as they were. Well, that's, I don't that's like that. That's another romanticism. Yeah. And I want to remember him the way he was or how the way she was many years ago. That's not the reality of life. No. Life and is and not you, always romantic like no. that. And you will always remember him like he was, no matter what you see at this point. That's yeah. my, my point. So it's, it's always, for me, uh, coming from my cultural tradition uh, in Africa, it's important to really be there for their loved one. Whether they know you're there or whether they recognize you or not, it is important to be there. I couldn't agree with you more. That is affirming to their humanity, affirming uh, to the value of what, what they have sowed into your life. It's a mm-hmm. sense of honor and respect. In most cases, yes, we live in a very uh, individualistic culture and we always want to think about ourselves and our feelings but um, in moments of death and dying, I think dealing with it truthfully and dealing with it honestly and going, allowing yourself to feel every process also helps in healing with grief quicker. Couldn't agree more. That just is, uh, you know, to be honest about things and how you feel about it and be willing to talk about it, that, that will help you instead of trying to deny the fact that this is, you know, so painful I don't want to deal with it or however that situation was and 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 it's and, and and I and we need to recognize it's so important again to go all the way back that when we are there that you help the parent model how they want to remember this experience and if it's you know if it's going to be something that is traumatic and and cold and and you know hurtful Unfortunately, your child is going to feel the same thing. Yeah. With that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Angels Grace Hospice brings comfort, dignity, and peace to help people with a life-limiting illness live every moment of life to the fullest while providing support for loved ones. We perform hospice care in your home, nursing home, or assisted living community, depending on your individual circumstance. For more information, you can check us out at www.angelsgracehospice.com or you can call us at 1-888-444-8341. To comfort always, this is our work. I'm Soleil Behman. You're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. So here are some tips on how to help talk about death with, with a child or your child. These are the do's. Tell the truth about what happened right away. I think you've heard us talk a lot about that. The truth gives an explanation to your tears and pain. 
being open and emotional can help your child learn how to mourn. Two, be prepared for a variety of emotional responses. Realize that however you approach this subject, the child will be upset and perhaps even angry at the loss. Accept the child's emotional reaction. You'll have time to address things again after the child had time to process the initial trauma. Three, make sure to use the words dead or died. Many find using the words dead or died uncomfortable and prefer using phrases like passed away, lost, crossed over, went to sleep. But research shows that using realistic words to describe death helps the grieving process. What do you think, Joe? Oh, that last one just is such a truth. All of what you said and how we need to approach a child is absolutely what uh, what that is all about. Uh, because kids, you know, a, a child wants to to respect and honor their parent. They've been taught that too, and you know, they want to see how their parent is going to handle this situation, which. Cognitively, maybe they don't know, but intuitively they do know what's going on. Mm. They are well aware of what is happening because the family's in disarray. And if you tell you don't tell them the truth, they are not going to comprehend that this situation with whether this loved one has died or is in the process of dying, uh, how they're going to get through it because it's caused so much chaos in their life. I mean, you know, you know. That's why it's difficult, and that's why I think us chaplains need to be ready to help families with this, because sometimes when the truth is told, the kid was the child is going to respond in a way, just as you said, that is that could be very inappropriate, yeah, or could be very appropriate, and a parent has to, you know, be aware that they're, you know, they should know their, oh, they should. I stop with the shoulds. Uh, they know how their child is going to respond. You see, what you're going and what you're talking about is is what I have here as point four. Share information in doses. Gauge what your child can handle by giving information in small bits at a time. Absolutely. You'll know what more to do based on the questions your child asks or how they react to the information you're right. giving them. Yeah. So know the child. That's That's important. Right. It's like a child asking their parent how, you know, where do babies come from? You see. And, and it's and you have to do it in a way and telling them with this that this is a this is a natural process of life and be forthright and you know use good words to let them be aware and honest words. Like you said, dead or died. We don't use honestly in our society yeah. to the point that I think they should be. I received a text last night. And the text asked me if I would be willing to officiate a funeral. And the gentleman sent it to me and saying, my dad passed. And I looked at that and that, and and it just sent flares. I'm like, why can't you say your dad died? And that's, Mm -hmm. that's my issue. Yeah. And but I think it's something that, that 
uh, it shows to people that you're afraid to use the word, and then that is not being truthful. Yeah, it's important. Another uh, tip number five, be comfortable saying, I don't know, if the Ah. child asks you. (laughs) Be comfortable saying, I don't know. Having all the answers is never easy, especially during a time of such heartache. It's helpful to tell your child that you may not know about certain things, like how did grandpa die? What happens to Aunt Rita at the funeral home? What made Spike run into the street? Mommy, you know, if you don't know, you don't don't know. know. Please don't make it up. Mm Mm-hmm. Point number six, cry, cry together, cry often if, if, you know, it's healthy and healing. Let the child know your pain. Exactly. Allow your child to participate in the rituals. Let children pick clothing for your loved one, photos for the memorial, a song or a spiritual reading. This will help them gain a sense of control of the traumatic loss. Let your child grieve in his or her own way. Allow the child to be silent about the death. It's also natural for a child to feel lonely and isolate themselves, you know, sometimes too. It is also common for children to seem unaffected by the loss. Mm -hmm. There is no right way to Mm -mm. grieve. Mm -mm. And just because the child doesn't cry when you cry doesn't mean that they're, they're not feeling the experience. And acknowledging it. Yeah. Prepare your child for what they will see in the funeral home or service. Tell children what they will see, who will be there, how people may be feeling, and what they will be doing. I think Joe has a story about that. <laughs> for young children, be specific in your description of what the surroundings will look like. For example, describe the casket and clothes and that the body, you know, how the body will be posed. Or if it's a memorial service, talk about where the body is, if it's been cremated in a closed coffin or already buried. Bring along someone to care for the child if you're distraught. Joe, what are your thoughts? Got to tell you a story about my one of my grandchildren. Uh, my dad, Like I said, my dad died 10 years ago, and we were at the funeral home doing the wake routine, and... You know, I'm upstairs greeting all the guests and all the people walking by, accepting all of their wonderful words. And my wife is downstairs with the grandchildren, keeping an eye on them. You know how grandchildren are. They're a little inquisitive. They like to see. So they went, they went, they went, I'll call it searching. They went walking around underneath, uh, you know, in the, the area downstairs where the family stays. And they were down there probably bored to tears. Because, you know, they had nothing to do upstairs. They'd come up every so often. Oh, granddad's still in the casket. Okay, everything's cool. Go back downstairs. And while they were downstairs, they started going into different rooms. And they ended up in the casket room. And my, he was six years old at the time. No, five years old at the time. My five-year-old grandson climbed into a casket. It was a Chicago Cubs casket. And he had a picture of himself taken while he was in the casket. And my son-in-law came up to me as we were leaving the funeral home that night because he didn't want me to find out about all of this. And he thought for sure I was going to be furious. I mean, just, it was so, you know, not appropriate according to his view. 
but he allowed his son to do it. And I looked at the picture and I saw Cooper in the in there pretending to be dead. And I just laughed. Talk about an opportunity to release all of that mm. that was going on. I mean, I still laugh about it, as, as you noticed, yeah. thinking about that story and about everything. I thought, what a wonderful release for me. Yeah. I mean, everybody was worried how, how, how I was going to respond to that. And I just laughed and laughed. And I thought, you know, I, I don't mind things a little irreverent at times. Yes. At all. <laughs> It, it keeps things down to, to a good level. And, uh, oh, it was precious. So <laughs> you got to find those times. And, and you know, it, you know I, I, mean, I still talk to him about it and all that, and he'll get a little embarrassed and whatnot. And, but it was okay. It was fine. You know, we, all, we did all of this together with the kids, what you've been saying and this, this whole steps that we've been through, you know, we did the rituals together. We've done the funeral home together. We've cried together. Uh, it's it's so good to see afterwards and to talk to the child afterwards, their experience. What is it that they really felt about that? Uh, you know, it, it would be terrible for them to walk away from the funeral home having honored their great-grandfather and grandfather mm. and not had that opportunity to be themselves. Yeah. And, you know, they were kids. Yeah. You know, they couldn't be like I was upstairs having to be there with everybody, shaking hands, hugging people, making sure mom was all right, everybody was okay. No, they were there to be there and, you know... They honored the situation by just being themselves. And that to me was what, what it, how it should be approached when we start talking about kids and death and dying. That is so beautiful. And uh, for them, even for the five-year-old to have the confidence oh, yeah. to jump into a coffin, I mean, that shows <laughs> he's not afraid of death and dying. It must been, be, yeah. It's been modeled to him that it's part of life. Exactly. And uh, to see a child embrace that at a young age is powerful. Yeah. Really powerful. And that leads us to the next point. Prepare your child for the future without your loved one. Talk about how it will feel to celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, and special moments without your loved one. Ask the child, you know, to help plan how to move through the next calendar year. Prepare to talk about thoughts and feelings often. It is likely that you have to tend to the subject of death for days, weeks, and months to come. Check in and be available for ongoing discussions since mourning is a process. The last point, remember to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. We sometimes forget about taking care of ourselves during times of death, dying, and grief. Children learn what they see, so be a role model for self-care at this critical moment. With that, we'll conclude our episode. Thank you very much for listening. podcast was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting Studio in Joliet, Illinois. Audio Hive Podcasting is a studio dedicated to podcast recording, editing, and production. For more information, you can find us at audiohivepodcasting.com.